Ah, hello, welcome to Monday Night Therapy with John and Todd. How's everybody doing? How are you doing, Todd? Oh, I'm doing wonderful, John. Wonderful, wonderful. Except it's cold, and I know it's really, you know, who am I to talk about cold when you live up in the, like in the frozen tundra up there, but dang, it's cold outside right now. It is negative nine in our house. Negative nine. Negative, well, negative nine. Real temperature. That is I cold. don't think the Big Ten would allow baseball to be played in this temperature. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what? I didn't realize they actually had an air temperature requirement. I saw they do. somewhere this week, uh, 29 degrees. They can't play yeah. if it's any colder than 29. And it is, that's it, the it damn is, cold. It is not the temperature. It is the actual real field temperature. Yes, right. From AccuWeather, yeah. Because I remember yeah. being at Minnesota, sitting around with like Greg Sharp, some of the guys in their tiny little closet booth, and we're looking at it going, are we going to be able to play today? Uh, Linda Wilkins is already here, as is Dion Pryor. And Dion Pryor says, hey, Pooh Bears. <laughs> uh, I, feel, I feel disconnected. I feel like I'm. this is not happening. I'm not ready. I'm not... Uh, I don't know. I'm well, still here, Todd. I, I didn't die in the icy cold water. Yeah, let's, you know what, let's, you know, a lot of the, the people are aware that um, you took the plunge um, this past weekend. And, and uh, I know you uh, put together a video and, and uh, I've, I've seen some pictures of it. So, um, you know, John, tell us a little bit about your plunging experience my polar plunging experience linda wilkins one of our regulars says how was the polar plunge uh if i had to one describe one word it would have been uh, overwhelming i mean the actual event itself you know I, I i described some of that in the video i knew that when i walked out of the tent into the open air that i thought oh god i should have had something on my legs you know you know i mean Four degrees is not weather that you walk around in, in wearing swim trunks and a t-shirt. It's just not. And here's the thing. I have, you know, most of you know I have heart attack and my EF is 39. That means that my heart is damaged and my circulation isn't that great because uh, my heart doesn't pump blood as well as other people's does. So I have to work that much harder. And I think the moment, the thing is, you know, I'm with people I work with at the University of as an IT consultant, I've been working with some of these people literally like a couple decades. Bill, our leader, whose office I died in. Um, you know, and Kelly, is she's a very wonderful young woman, and she's standing next to me. And all I can think of is I could – you ever have tunnel vision, Todd? I have tunnel vision a lot. Do you? I mean, from stress. Oh, uh, I, I have experienced that not very often. Yeah. I could feel it coming, and I kind of knew that it would because I wasn't, you know, I mean, you, and I described that in the video, too. I said, you know, I knew I was going to get anxious, and I had all these plans, you know, I'm going to scream, or I'm going to do this, or, and it all disappeared. Every bit of it went out the freaking window, and all I could think about is if Kelly jumps, I'm going to jump, because if I stay there, what happens is if you linger, the crowd starts doing shit. You know what I mean? And mostly they're there to talk people into jumping. And I thought, if I think about this, things are going to happen that may not be good. But I jumped into the water, 
And at that moment, I thought, oh, God. <laughs> that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was coming out, and Bill is standing there. Bill, our team leader, is standing there high-fiving people like he doesn't give a shit about anything. And all I can think of is I got to get back to the tent. And that's, that's when I went to clench my hands. All right, I went to clench my hands because in four degree weather, you have just a few minutes before your hands stop working, right, properly. And I went to clench my hands and I noticed that there's literally a thin layer of ice over my hands. And I'm thinking, oh God, if there's thin layer of ice on my hands, there's a thin layer of ice over my entire body. And that freaked me out a little. And you know, that's where in the video I put in, it literally did. The, the diary of Sergeant Bergeon came into my head. I think probably nobody but me has ever read this book. It is the diary of a sergeant who, with Napoleon's army, went into Moscow and then survived on the way out. And it's just a horrifying book to read of all the horror, the struggles they went through trying to get out in negative 40 degree weather and, you know, the men and oh my God. Yep. So Linda says you know, John, I, I was what? No, I was going to ask you. You know, remind us again. You know, you didn't do this just to show that you could. I I understand. Well, maybe to prove to yourself that you could, but there was a, a beneficiary of of this, and I I can't remember who you said the the proceeds were going to go to. Uh, Minnesota Special Olympics. That was one reason. The other reason was to prove to myself that I could. Uh, John said, or Linda, Linda Wilkins says, John, I was going to donate and got clear to the point of giving my name and address, but then knew I would be ever on their mailing list and backed out. Sorry. You know, don't be sorry. You're here supporting me now. So I appreciate that. I did get donations. You know what? I ended up as number one on the list and on my team. And I noticed that Bill and Kelly didn't even mention that when we were around because afterwards we went to a bar and we had some uh we had some uh, food, uh, and whenever somebody left, I yelled, yelled happy fucking Bastille Day at him because of the French thing stuck in my head. I will show you one other thing. I am actually prepared to show you this, Todd. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I did this. I have to kind of prepare myself. Oh, let me get this off here. <clears throat> This is a woman from one of my heart attack groups that I posted my video in. And she posted, I needed to watch this, not because I have a desire to freeze my ass off, but because rather, because I don't do things because of fear of going into cardiac rest again. My husband, but she gets into this thing and she says, I am becoming anxious because this will be my first flight. And she said, I needed this video to remind myself that I can do this because in the video I do say we need to do hard things and not be uncomfortable and, and be uncomfortable. I have to remind myself that God already has my day marked on the calendar <coughs> when I will leave this earth. That's why I did this. It's because I know that I have a lot of the heart attack people go through this stuff and it's very difficult for everybody to go back and get a normal life and one of the reasons why i wanted to do this was prove it to myself but i also wanted to you know kind of i guess be a symbol or something that people would go yeah i need to not forget to live and that's really sure. key for a lot of people that have gone through trauma so uh, i wanted to show that and uh, you know i did get a lot of comments from that from our heart attack groups 
<sighs> now we can go on. <laughs> well, you know, John, I, I, I know that you have, um, we've talked quite a bit about, um, you know, and you've told me stories about some of the people and the obstacles that they face after that traumatic experience in their life. And um, what I can say, and, and, you know, to a lot of you that are listening and watching us tonight, um, you know, John certainly has had his struggles since this, since he had his heart attack. And um, I don't think, and, you know, I probably speaking out of place here, uh, it didn't help that he basically had to shut down his life uh, for COVID either. And um, so, John, I'm, I'm happy that you went out and did this. Um, I have no desire to take a polar plunge. I've watched it. In fact, uh, the high school I was a principal at, our uh, wrestling club and our wrestling team and, and FFA chapter both did polar plunges. And um, so I've been around them. But, uh, you know, kudos to you. And, and uh, you know, I, I, you know, and you're a strong advocate for, uh, you know, get the most out of each day. And um, uh, there's no guarantees. And uh, I, I know that a lot of people, um, you know, that that's a very common phrase. And I think um, we all need to, to take take it to heart and uh, capture whatever we can uh, when we can. So, um, well, you know, congrats to you for uh, testing yourself and... Um, uh, <laughs> wow, the shots are coming in, man. <laughs> Blaine Thanks, Cole Blaine. says, Blaine Cole says, uh, well, my God, I can't find it. <laughs> Way to go, John Manhansen. Thank you. The hell did it go? Right anyway, there. Todd says, yeah. I am sure you could take the plunge. You appear to be well insulated. <laughs> there you go. Oh, Blaine. I'll tell you what. Um, yes, I am. <laughs> oh, my days, my days of not being well insulated. I, I, I'll tell you what. It's so much easier to put it on than it is to take it off. Oh my God! Well, hey, let's let's uh, let's go to to some Nebraska sports, Nebraska athletics, and some other topics here. Um, we uh, uh, have a short list here, and you know we usually have been starting off with some conversations about football because that seems to be the common interest for most of us. And um, Coach Rule and his staff continue to um, get commitments. Uh, from recruits and and uh, this week uh, an area of need that we have discussed over and over again um, is the defensive line. We've talked a lot about uh, offensive line, defensive line as areas of need, and um, it looks like we've got a, a massive young man uh, coming from California by the name of Sua Lafotu. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Um, He's a defensive lineman, played at Don Bosco, which was uh, the number one ranked team at the end of the year oh, yeah. in high school football. Um, you know, they had multiple players on their team that have committed to Division One schools. But um, it, it sounds like uh, he is a very physical player. He's huge. Um, once again, um, going to provide some depth. Um, this is the only one, I think, since our last – a uh, podcast that uh, has committed, right. or at least uh, publicly has committed. Um, but we anticipate that there'll be a few more. But that isn't to say that that recruiting um, hasn't been in the news. And 
we've referenced this a little bit about, you know, the effort that Coach Rule is putting into uh, um, recruiting, traveling all over the country, uh, his, his coaching staffs all over the country, um, meeting with coaches, meeting with players, offering scholarships. Um, you know, we got uh, Ed Foley, uh, um, am I saying that right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Blanking the state of Nebraska. Um, and, and I guess, you know, I, I want to pose a question here. Um, you know, how important, how important is it that our assistant coach is visiting every, trying to visit every little school in the state of Nebraska? Um, coach Rule's been out. You know, how, how important is that um, at this point in time? Uh, you know, as we, you know, they haven't even worked with the players yet. But how important is this mission of goodwill, I guess, John? Where would, what are your thoughts with that? Well, Terrence Knighton and Ed Foley were introduced to, the, to you know, the Nebraska media today. And I, I, I did watch it, and I didn't get all the way through Ed, Foley, Foley's, Ed, Foley, Ed Foley's talk, but he did talk about visiting all these little towns and how he likes to go. He said his day begins here and it ends here. And in the meantime, if he's not visiting these towns, he likes to get a local flavor of the food. He likes to talk to the people and see what they like. And it's, I, you know, I think the guy genuinely likes to go out and meet people. You know, when I go out, I, I, my kids get pissed off at me because I have a tendency to talk to everybody. And I have developed a technique, and with it, within 15 minutes, I can get a life story out of any human being on this planet, as long as they're rational. Just that disclaimer. But. Um, you know, Ed Foley seems like that kind of guy that he just likes going out and visiting these people. Uh, I think it's important that, you know, you know, I'll, I'll make this comment. Uh, it's important for Ed Foley because basically Matt Rule told him that's what he's going to do. And when your boss tells you to do something, you can go do it or you can go freaking go somewhere else. <laughs> but... Do I think it's important he visit every, what did you say, podunk? Did you say the word podunk? I said podunk, you, and that's that's You said that's that about Nebraska towns? No, you that's, said that's podunk? term of endearment. Term of endearment. Okay, okay. You know? I, you I, know, I, know, that if you, I know that if you visit the town next door, not, not my, I'm going to be pissed off at you, but I think it's important you establish, they know where the players are. I think, you know, like in my little town, I grew up in Curtis, well, probably in our when we played football, the players were in Grant because <laughs> they ran. Well, over you had us a basketball player up there too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Bill Jackman, and uh, they ran over us every year. And I don't know how many years in a row they won the C two title, but um, I think it's important that they get out there and establish those things. And it's amazing they're doing this stuff early. And what you're hearing is that uh, nobody has done this in a very long time. I think there's there's a void out there for people. Literally, I mean, it wasn't just the previous guy we fired. It was the previous, previous guy we fired. And maybe the guy before him who didn't like recruiting either. I mean, we've had, I think, for a long time, nobody's done anything to, as literally in going out in the state of Nebraska, have they? Or am I wrong about that? Because a lot of those years are missing for me. Well, apparently not. But, you know, we constantly were hearing that they were. I mean, you know, when... When 
Scott Frost became the head coach. You know, you heard the lip service given given to we're going to own 500 miles and we're going to we're not going to let players get away from us here in the state of Nebraska. And, you know, Barrett Rood became kind of like the primary recruiter in the state of Nebraska. But I never got the impression that Barrett Rood was all that enthusiastic of a guy. I mean, hell of a football player. Don't you know, I'm not right. Casting dispersions there. But um, apparently he didn't approach it with the vigor and with the excitement that Ed Foley is. And, you know, perhaps not, um, you know, nearly to the extent that people would have us believe. And I guess um, it's, you know, to me, it's refreshing. It, to me, I think that these, these coaches are doing everything they possibly can. And I think Fred Sacco said it earlier in a comment, you know, is to, to rebuild bridges that yeah. have been burnt, you know, not just by Frost, but by previous coaches. And, you know, the thing that made Nebraska successful, even, you know, even before Tom Osborne, was that the entire state backed that football program. This entire state was behind um, behind the football program. And that's dwindled a lot uh, in recent years. So, you know, hats off to them. Um, you know, it's it's um, I think it's a good deal. Now, Matt Hansen says first coaching staff to connect with Nebraska high school since Osborne or Solich. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, but I think it I'm, looks like it. Pardon? I think I think the key here is they're just going in and seeing high schools. It's not like I mean I think the staff of maybe previous staffs went. Oh, there might be a football player. Let's go talk to that guy. But these people are going everywhere and talking to everybody. That's the I think that's the huge difference. You know, and it goes back to what I said about Ed Foley. He's interested in things. I mean, he seems to be in, genuinely interested in meeting people, which is you know kind of refreshing. Well, you know, um, I, I think that, um, well, you know, check out Wade's comment. Let's bring Wade's comment, Wade Farr's okay. comment up here, because, you know, I think this is kind of interesting. He says, but what are they gaining by this? You recruit a kid, but don't blame, not even at the end of the game, whether or not winning by a ton or losing uh, by a ton to nobody, but stars get into the in play. Well, I think one of the things that truly happens at Division One football programs that are successful is every player has a role and every player is important and there are a lot of players that spent four maybe even five years on campus at the university of nebraska and they never got on the field during a game but i don't think they were ever marginalized or minimalized i think that they always recognized that their job was you know in fact to prepare everybody else you know the guys in front of them to play and you know that's that, that is the result of quality coaching where your yeah. value, I mean, you know, when John and I were on campus, you know, way back in the eighties, we knew a lot of players, a lot of players. And, um, you know, I know a couple of them that never played in the game, but you right. know, they, they were committed to the school. They were committed to the team. And, um, you know, in their years after, you know, since they've been gone, they still identify as a Nebraska Cornhusker football player. And it was important to them. 
So, you know, I, I, I did that, uh, the untold story of the nineties video, uh, with Paul Koch's book and Paul, Paul will, I think be a guest with us here in a, in a week or two, but you know, there is comments in there from, Oh, come on. Was it Charlie McBride? It was Milt Tanniper. It was one of the big coaches, but they said, you know, all of the kids knew their uh, kids again, all of the players knew their role. And sometimes their role was, was being, on the scout team and preparing the defense for the next game. So again, that goes back to what are they going to get out of this? You know, I, I think that's it. If they're going to get some walk-ons out of it, they don't have to have 300 of them, but uh, they can get some guys in just if nothing else than through reps and practice. Uh, And you know what? Didn't we used to have the cattlemen's club in Nebraska? Is that still a thing? They had to be club and some of those other things. I think, I think over time they were all kind of consolidated, you know, into the the department to a degree. I've kind of lost track. I used to know a lot about that, um, paid a lot of attention to those things, um, but for the most part, those freestanding kind of independent booster and support clubs—they're all gone. Why is that? Let's look into that sometime. We'll interview my dad. He's the one that's make, got the I'll history. Just make there. some calls. That's all you just say. Yeah. Just well, make some calls. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, did you watch any of the Terrence Knighton or uh, Ed Foley thing? No, I, I haven't. I I have not watched any of them. I I know that uh, you know Terrence Knighton. Um, and you know, here's the thing. I here, wasn't here. paying a whole lot. Of, there. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I did. I have decided to start putting tweets in our graphics thing. Uh, Mitch Sherman, the difference is culture, uh, says Terrence Knighton, on taking Nebraska from a team that's been close to victories to one that is a consistent winner. I, you know, you get really tired of the word culture, but I don't know whatever word. I don't know what other word. You know, the word culture must be so ingrained in all these coaches' head, but, you know, it oh, yeah. kind of fits. And you know what, the, the, process. the tweet that I should have actually saved for us to use every show was Terry Pettit's response on culture. And I'll go find that and we'll keep it as a, as a constant graphic that we use to re- reference what the meaning of, of culture is, because I think Terry Pettit's, I, I mean, he would know, right? Is anybody would know that's yeah. Terry Pettit. Well, and you know, Coach Frost always talked about culture and getting the culture, but you know, uh, and I'm not, I don't even want to go down that rabbit yeah. hole. So, um, okay. you know, I, I, I tell you what, here's, here's, I guess, just kind of a, a general statement. Right now, this coaching staff is punching all the right buttons. They're very well prepared. They, uh, you know, they have, I, won't, I don't want to say a script, but they have talking points. They've invested the time to That's understand bad. what, the talking points need to be to develop some excitement, but also to try to recapture uh, the, the the fan base. So you know, kudos to them. Right, here's another one. Terrence Knighton's nickname is Pot Roast. Said he was coming back on a flight where they got destroyed, and it was dark. And the flight attendant asked him what he wanted to eat, and he got uh, pot roast. And then he said, uh, 
there's more to that story. He said that he he went from that team to Denver and he tried to get rid of the name and they were like, nope, you're pot roast. <laughs> okay, here is one more from Terrence Knighton. I should have gotten quotes from Ed Foley, but uh, I think I had a server blow up and I had to go fix it. Knighton said accountability is the word that comes to mind working first, working for a Matt Rule. It's, we're all trying to outwork each other and that helps. Nobody wants to be the weak link. Uh, okay. That, that is a, that's an excellent statement. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I, I think there's one thing I want to point out that's different from here to where we were when we hired that other guy that got fired. You remember that guy that we fired? Yeah. Uh, so far we have one, we have not heard one thing that was constant with the other staff. And that was, uh, they're not blaming anybody of, of before them, which I find kind of refreshing. Some of this stuff, it's off season stuff and it's the, the Kool-Aid we drink and it's the fuel that fuels our food that fuels our lives or something. I don't know what it is, but you know, it's stuff you kind of have to say, but on the other hand, you kind of see that they're actually doing things in terms of uh, they are recruiting hard and they are getting out into high schools and people are actually paying attention to them on Twitter as in, you know, kind of noticing where is Ed Foley going today kind of thing. So it's been, I, you know, it's been, uh, I did, uh, you know what? Uh, Chris Tussing has one. Let me get that up there. <laughs> Chris Tussing says, my favorite thing about the staff so far is just the energy and excitement they talk with. No monotone, boring coach talk, and they are giving actual answers and conversation. It, I wouldn't disagree with that. I mean, Ed Foley, you know what Ed Foley said? He's a special teams guy. You know what he said, Todd? I think I heard him say something like, we're going to return kicks. What the hell is that about? Do you realize there's been like whole parts of football missing from our lives with our beloved Nebraska <laughs> Cornhusker team? There literally has been things we have not seen. And we haven't seen a punt return for years. I mean, like an actual real punt return. Kind of like somebody went, oh, is that part of the game? Well, yes, it is. You know what I mean? I feel like collectively, I probably shouldn't say it like this and may get in trouble, but I feel like collectively, we've all escaped Scientology. <laughs> we just wow. we just came out of this kind of occult atmosphere where our confirmation <laughs> bias was so strong of wanting the other guy to succeed that we literally forgot how things worked around us. And, and now where our eyes are starting to open again, and we're kind of looking out there and going, my God, this is what it could be like. Well, I remember you know, this. I think I don't disagree with that. And and when you think about it, the fact that we were excited about um, the fact that our that special teams were not a negative, it was kind of like this last year. We were very happy that our special teams were not a detriment to us you know, didn't get them to the point where the special teams contributed a lot of positives, but at least it wasn't a negative. And, and we were happy about that. And then how deep were we into this, this cult, I guess, so to speak? There were some people that felt good about being referred to as the best three and nine football team in the country. 
The best three in 19? I mean, what the hell does that mean? I mean, that's... The <laughs> Oh, participation. I'm, I'm not going to read that, but yes, you are correct. <laughs> I think. I don't know. I think we all just did. You know, we joined up and we didn't realize it. I, But, you know, I mean, I don't think people just walk into that environment and go, oh, I'm here. Please cloud my mind with the all the biases on the planet. And everybody just went along with it for a while, you know. Uh, well, and now we... Now we're gonna maybe that's what the goal of this off season is. It, it's actually not drinking the Kool Aid. It is deprogramming. And we should there look you at go. It from a, that should be the goal. That is the goal of the off season. Is deprogramming. You bet. I, I, yeah. I, I remember that. Well, and and I think we can start by following Ed Foley down by the river in a van, and get rid of our cult like focus it, yeah what was the name of that character on saturday night? it wasn't ed foley was it it was something foley oh god <sighs> <It's>, yeah <laughs> okay i have to address this because it's actually in my list chris tussing says if you were advising scott frost right now would you tell him to take time away from coaching or go after a job like miami offensive coordinator mm -hmm. Uh, I'll be really blunt about this. I, I saw where somebody had asked me about uh, Alabama, uh, Scott Frost being potentially Alabama's offensive coordinator. Um, I, you know, I've been blunt with this on everything else. I'll just be blunt here. There, there's nothing that Scott Frost did as an offensive coordinator that would make anybody at that level of talent hire him as offensive coordinator. Did he have some neat play designs? Yes, he did. Was he creative with his offense? Yes. But he'd never put together anything. Nothing was ever joined to anything else. Like, And I hate to reference these things, but it's fresh in my mind, okay? The fullback traps that Corey Schlesinger ran that scored two touchdowns, they were there because they were set up to score touchdowns. They weren't just plays that got called out of nowhere. They were there ahead of time to, to suck a defense into doing things and then, and then showing them a different look where the fullback was going up the middle by himself because nobody saw him with the ball. And Frost did none of those things. I, didn't, I guess we talk about constrained plays. Constraint plays are plays that keep a defense honest, like with bubble screens. You know, the screens to the side that you hate, those are to keep the defense from always bunching in the middle. All right? Frost did none of those things where he was connecting plays together, and none of his offense made any sense whatsoever. And I think when you're looking at somebody who's going to run a program like Miami or certainly Alabama with Nick Saban, they're not going to hire a guy like that. Because I'll tell you what he's going to have to do. He's going to have to do everything his, head, his boss tells him to do. And I think that was probably the, one of the things that we saw with this guy is he didn't want to listen to anybody. He didn't want any direction from anybody. And, you know, I don't mean to go further into this. I'd rather let it go. But this whole thing with... Going to Alabama offensive coordinator just, just really hit me. Like, who in the fuck came up with that idea? I would be extremely shocked if any of that happened. I, you know, I don't wish the guy any will, but I, I think it's going to be a while before he gets to that level of coaching again. You know, you know like I, I said, I'm shocked. What, but... We've all heard 
a lot about what was going on with, you know, Coach Frost within the program. And we've all heard a lot about things that were going on outside of the program. And the reality is I can, I can say for myself, I don't know what's true. I don't know what's false. But what I would say is, at least as far as some of the things that I heard have taken place outside of football, I think Scott Frost needs to take some time away from the sport. He's got a lot of money in the bank. He's got a big fancy house down in Arizona. He needs to take some time away and get his life in order. And, yeah. you know, whether whether he recognizes that or not, um, if he wants to have a, a career in football down the road, I think that he needs to step away and and get his act together. Sarkeesian did it um, yeah. when he had struggles. And other coaches uh, have, have done the same. So I think that would be in his best interest. Okay, where were we at? Was there anything about Ed Foley? Ed Foley said he was going to return kicks. He was going to return punts. He talked for a while. He's a very affable guy. I mean, yeah. you know, if I saw Ed Foley and I, and I, and I don't know, uh, name a small town, suddenly everything's gone from my head. In McCook. That's not necessarily small in Nebraska. But if I saw no, Ed was, Foley in McCook, I'd probably go, he was hey, you want me to buy you some coffee? And then we talk about uh, airplane models or something. I don't know. There what? You go. Oh, he was out at Amesworth, and he's been a lot of little places, you know. So, well, oh. you know. Something that I want to, something I want to bring up, and you know, this has been something that uh, you kind of took off on. Uh, you have off and on in recent years, and um, there's a couple oh, of different levels. Well, it it has to do with officiating, <laughs> and um, you were you were relatively animated today uh, on Slack. Uh, and folks, in large part because uh, if if you didn't watch the NFL games yesterday, uh, but more importantly, if you didn't check out social media or listen to any of the talking head pundits, apparently there was some questionable officiating yesterday. And John believes that it just isn't good enough that it's got to be better uh, to the point where, you know, and he's not, it's not a, an original thought, but he thinks that the officials should be full-time employees at the NFL. I do. Other people have said that. But, John, you know, share with us your thoughts about the quality of officiating, at least at the NFL level, and um, college basketball, because you rant about that, and to a lesser extent, college football. So, you know, officiating the the state of officiating according to John. Oh my God! It's like you want me to splay myself open, and then you're just going to hack off the pieces that are still left. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. Yesterday, yesterday, as a joke, because I do this on Twitter, I joked. Uh, I think I tweeted something along the lines of. I'm starting to believe all them people that tell me the NFL is rigged. And I had so many responses and people liking that tweet. I was like, oh, my God. Uh, but 
you know, there's been massive amounts of talk now that the NFL is rigged. And uh, I, I just think the officiating across sports is not where anybody wants it to be. There's too many times that officiating determines games. And I, I even watched, like Danny Woodhead said this, Jordan Westerkamp said this. There were other guys that I follow on Twitter that are former players, NFL players too, that said, uh, you know, this is this is a bad look for the NFL on how that game turned out against Cincinnati and Kansas City. And I mean, how it turned out, you're angry if you're a Cincinnati fan, you're, you're fine with it if you're a Chiefs fan. I think that's where it all goes. And I guess I'd look at it and I think, uh, how can they do better? You know how they can be. I can't. I can't understand college basketball officiating at all. I've watched. My son watches the NBA, so I've watched more NBA. I can't understand what they're calling. I mean, I understand the rules, but how they call it and why one game is like got twenty-three thousand the first half, and there's the next game has four thousand the first half. I have no idea why it's so inconsistent, and it drives me nuts. And then if you don't. You could if you if we could have. 30 shows on targeting, and it still would be inconsistently called across the board, depending upon what conference you're in. So do I think it could be better? Yeah, I do. I think it's going to get a lot worse, and I detailed that in Slack. Did you want me to go into that? Uh, you know, yeah. Just I need more I'm building. I'm building my you're, case. And so the more, okay. the more you pile on your – your uh, argument, the more I have to tear down. So that's that's fine. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. Here's exactly what I would like to see from officiating. I would like them to be full-time officials. And the reason why I would like the NFL to, to have full-time officials is because it wouldn't be just freaking officials. Right now, you have in NFL cities, in NFL places, you have players, they go out and they visit kids. Uh, like Steve Warren has football camps for Nebraska. I think, does Adam Carricker do that? I don't know if he does. Former players are put on football camps. You know, why couldn't you have like NFL officials at these camps? And they could also be ambassadors of good sportsmanship, which America needs at their high school football games. I was on the field before one of our games, and I talked to a set of Big Ten officials, and I was asking them about some of this stuff, and then I said something about this, very specifically. We are losing so many officials at the middle school and high school level that the pool is getting so small that by the time they get into college, you know, those are the people that 10 years from now and 15 years from now are going to be NFL officials. Well, if we keep beating them up at the middle school level and the high school level, we're not going to have anybody up there. And you know that we already have problems across high schools in scheduling enough officials because nobody wants to do this shit anymore. Okay, so, so NFL, oh, I'm not done yet, you son of a bitch. You got me going. <laughs> so the job of the NFL officials wouldn't just to be officiate. It would be to help maintain and retain future officials in the same way that we look at athletes and then we just, I mean, they, you have IMG Academy, you have Mater D in California, you have high schools where people go because they're going to get trained to get into college for athleticism. Why can't you have the same kind of structure for officials? You know, and why can, you know what? I'll tell you this. Oh, by the way, the guys in the field, the guy, the Big Ten officials I talked to, I brought up high school refs, and they all looked at each other, and they went, 
wow, them high school refs really just get ripped apart. They're treated like shit. And I'm like, I was thinking you guys would complain about how you're treated, but no, you're talking about the high school officials and how bad they have it. That's well, what I thought. Go ahead, make your catch. Well, well, okay, only no, because I, I have to breathe, Todd. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start with a question. So back to the NFL and some of your observations with basketball. Why? Why has officiating gotten so bad? I think it's because the athletes are bigger, stronger, and faster. I think it, I so think I think if we honestly went out and you and I or anybody I mean we'd have to be in better shape let's be honest. I mean when you look at Clint Blakeman I don't know how what is that guy 55? Yeah, he could he could beat the shit out of anybody anybody. I mean maybe not an MMA fighter but that guy's in really good shape. But I think if honestly the other thing I'd like to have to have happen is this. I think that, and I've said this before, I think media members should have to go out and officiate games for us. They can be exhibition games, but then they find out what it's like to have to run up and down the field and actually make calls. And I think that it's extremely difficult. See, I'm going to tear my own case down before you even have the chance. Well, first of all, <laughs> the, the, the fact that you brought up you know, high school, middle school, and, and, and youth sports, What's happening down there is horrendous. It's it absolutely horrendous. But I think that the reason, and I'm not, I didn't say the officiating is horrendous, but the way officials, I guess I'm referencing the way that the officials yeah. are treated is horrendous. And I've had front row seats to that for a number of years. And I was an official myself. I, I officiate a lot of wrestling and I officiated a little bit of football. Now, the football that I officiated was such at such a low level, you know, that really didn't count. But that being said, when you talk about officiating so bad is is so bad, my solution is to get rid of all the goddamn technology. Wipe it out. We have we have we have created a society where we as human beings demand perfection. Yeah, yeah. Gambling has taken such, is such a, an integral part of sports today that, that there is so much pressure that comes from those who have invested gambling for perfection that that just raises the stakes even more. Now, I'm not... I'm not blaming gambling, but as soon as we brought cameras into every stadium and have insisted on the absolute correct call, nothing's ever good enough. So if you want to solve the problem, the, the problem of officiating, then take the officials out. There's no, don't put the human being out there. Because as long as we have human beings, and Don Dre said it earlier, human beings are going to make mistakes. Has have there? I have never heard the level of criticism about officiating at at college and at the professional level as I've heard in the last five or six years. The more technology is involved, the more criticism there is on the officials. Were there blown calls 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Yep. And some of those decided national championships. 1982 Penn State, Todd. There you go. 
the reality is, is that you can't have it both ways. If you're going to put human beings out there on that on that field or on that court, and if you're going to give them the responsibility of making decisions in a game that's moving at warp speed, and I think what you said is true. I think that the athletes have outpaced yeah. the ability of the human beings to keep, you know, the officials to keep up. But the reality is, is that in our way of life, we demand perfection in this day and age. And if it's not perfect, then it's not good enough. Or we have something invested. And we've invested so much that we feel like the referees have to be perfect or else we've gotten screwed. One of the biggest reasons you see some of these parents absolutely out of control at youth sports and high school sports is because they've spent tens of thousands of dollars hauling their kids all over the country, right. you know, to showcase events and, and for private lessons. They think that they're owed something. And when the human element comes into play and their kid gets their fifth foul or gets hacked when they're shooting and it doesn't get called, then, they, then they've been screwed. So, so, so they're, they're not going to take the technology out of the game. No, they won't. In fact, you, in fact no, we have a constant argument at our house with me and my rotten son about how they could put uh, sensors in the ball to determine where it is. And, I, you know, I keep arguing that, no, they can't do that. He points out that they do that already in soccer. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how they would completely take – Humans, I don't watch Major League Baseball, so I don't know what, you know, apparently now they measure the strike zone or some damn thing. The, it, they will be calling balls and strikes completely with technology before too long. You, we will, they will remove, they will remove calling balls and strikes from the responsibility of the home plate umpire in the near future. Is that good or bad? W I don't, I think it's bad. I think I, I, I told you my solution. My solution is to remove all the damn cameras and go back to letting human beings call the contest and you live with it. Kaylee Bartle says it's fun watching a foul get called in the Staples Center and watching the entire crowd in sync look up at the video replay. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we, you know, there's so much talk on Twitter now. I love Twitter for sporting events. You, you guys know, uh, I, I mentioned this probably way too much. I, here's what I do. Just so you know, my strategy on Twitter, my strategy on Twitter is, well, I get it. Like today, I was so pissed off at Microsoft, I went out and took it out on Twitter. <laughs> Because I was having a Microsoft licensing issue. And by the way, SAP too. SAP support sucks. So I got mad. And what I do is I go on to Twitter. I give myself like 10 minutes a day. I go on Twitter. I throw hand grenades as many as possible in like five minutes. And then I get the hell off Twitter. So, you know, a lot of stuff I say on Twitter can be taken with a grain of salt. But... There is so much stuff about the rig stuff, and I think, you know, it, it's really – our confirmation bias is stronger than ever. We, we really just decide what we want to believe, and then we go find the evidence for it. Well, you know? I think that comes down from other aspects of our society, and we're not going to go there. Right. <laughs> uh, Highlander Gun says, what about AI refs? 
you know, I work in IT since the 1980s. Since we first had PCs, we've been hearing about how artificial intelligence is going to take over everything. And it, it isn't. It's too dumb. I mean, we don't have driverless cars for a reason. Why? Because it's too complex. We're not going to have driverless trucks for a very long time because that's too complex. Um, you know, I, I, maybe if, if we do that, if artificial intelligence gets to that level, uh, it won't be in my lifetime because the computing power isn't there. And, the, and it, I mean, as you saw in any given game, there's just so many complexities to stuff, you know. I mean, even, even that game, even the penalty that determined the Chiefs-Bengals game at the end of the game, uh, the personal foul, he was clearly out of bounds. It was clearly a call they had to make because he was out of bounds and he pushed him. And you can't, I mean, you, you can't do anything to a quarterback. You certainly can't do that. You could argue whether or not he was falling at the time he pushed him or if he hurt his leg and was moving forward. Intent in most of those, intent is not, what do I want to say? Intent is not an influential factor. In other words, intent doesn't matter on most of the fouls the way they're written. So like when we look at targeting, for example, intent has nothing to do with it. Rough, roughness or some of the intentional roughness or personal foul calls, those do have to do with intent, but most of football has nothing to do with the intent of the player because that is subjective and extremely you can't read minds um, well you know there was a comment up earlier about chips in the ball i think they already are putting chips in the soccer ball they used it at the world cup um you know it's, to me that's a simple solution to figure out what forward progress was you know um doing something like that so um yeah i i can see that that some of that makes some sense but you know I, I, you know, the whole issue of the argument that officiating keeps getting worse and worse and worse is in direct correlation, in my opinion, to greater use of technology. Oh, that could be. And everybody wants it to be perfect. And if, if that's going to be the level, if that's going to be the expectation is perfection, then remove the human beings from the game. Don't don't require them to make a human decision if the technology is there and it's going to override them. Uh, we haven't heard from D I D right? What I come on. I clicked on something. <laughs> technology erg. Living in Omaha, David Matney David Matney says Skynet became self-aware on August 29th, 1997. Oh, so basically what David is saying is we're not just in a Scientology cult of Nebraska football. We're living within a simulated world that, let's move on to something. Okay, um, I, you know, at the collegiate level, what I'd like to see him do with officials is actually not have uh, conference officials anymore. I agree with that, But 100%. have a national pool of officials so that, you know, I mean, the SEC, you can use the arm bar and every other league you can't. I mean, the SEC doesn't care if they kill people, so targeting is called a lot less there. Um, you know, it'd be nice if you just had consistency throughout the nation. Same through all the college sports. I mean, it's not like they don't have enough money to do this. They're just too much money just, you know, being dispersed. The NCAA is worried about trying to... Uh, 
<clears throat> well, this is news. I don't know if I want to go too far into this. <clears throat> In fact, I'll just mention it and we'll bring it up later. The NCAA is worried about how they're going to enforce nil stuff to the point that they can use circumstantial evidence to determine guilt, which sounds like the dumbest damn thing I've heard of. Maybe they should. It's like they're just like trying to re retain their their reason yeah. to exist when they could go out and do other things that gave them a bigger reason to exist, like establish a national pool of officials or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, what do you got next, Todd? What's next? Well, uh, you know, there are some other things that are happening with the University of Nebraska. I think, uh, you know, you're the one that pays a lot closer attention to basketball, but it, it both the basketball teams have had kind of a rough week. Um, so I, I'm not – do we need to go down that road? No. Honestly, I think something needs to happen with the men's basketball team to just get them out of a funk. I think it's really difficult that they've lost those two players, and I think, you know, I – I don't know. I guess we're gonna we're gonna see if they can win a couple more games maybe this season, and uh, I maybe they got more heart than that. But yeah, um, wrestling. Uh, the Nebraska wrestling team won a nice duel over Wisconsin uh, yesterday. That was a real good win. Uh, Coach Manning got his 300th duel win uh, at Nebraska, which um, boy that puts things in perspective. Uh, of course, you know, Coach Manning looked like a real young man when he came to Nebraska, and now his hair is all white. Still looks like a young guy. I mean, he is one of the the healthiest people I think I've ever been around, but his hair is all white now. Um, so uh, uh, the wrestling team did well. Ridge Lovett, who's redshirting this year and, and is the top returning Nebraska wrestler from last year, uh, he got a bronze medal in an international tournament over in France last week so he's out there competing but um from from my perspective i thought nebraska wrestled as good against wisconsin as they have all year they looked they 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 look like they're continuing to improve over the course of the year um you know baseball had their first practice last friday and they got to practice outside um you know and and they have five or six recruits that uh committed you know in the course of two or three days uh, they held a, a prospects camp uh, a few days back, and from that they offered quite um, quite a few uh, individuals, and they accepted that. And I see in the comments here our our uh, coordination, one of our coordination baseball writers, Aaron, says that Coach Harv just tweeted out a hashtag GBR, which means baseball just got another commit. So um, Coach Bolt is remaking, you know, that baseball team. Uh, we've got some hardcore be baseball fans, you know, at Coronation. We're all excited about them opening the season out at San Diego. Uh, Coach Bolt tends to schedule some good, solid um, uh, non-conference games to start the season each year. So um, we're we're looking we're looking forward to that. Um, we're we're going to try to do a show to preview the Big Ten baseball season uh, with one of the guys at D1 Baseball. I don't know if you know. I have to adjust my bra here. Uh, I don't know if you guys know that D1 baseball is one of the biggest uh, national college baseball sites. Uh, Kendall Rogers, Eric Swordson, Aaron Fitt, I think is there. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. 
So those guys are all big national guys, and Patrick Ebert, I hope will. I think we will do a different live show than our Monday night or the Five Heart podcast. It'll be its own Big Ten baseball show. But we're going to see what we can figure out for scheduling with Patrick. So there you go. We're at 56 minutes. Wow. wow. First day game. It's an, uh, you have a note here that says 44 players must cut to 35. Oh, the baseball team um, coming into uh, coming off of the winter winter work winter drills, they still have forty four players uh, listed on that roster. They've got to be at thirty five when they start the season. Uh, they got a couple guys that are injured that um, you know have had some recent surgeries and stuff, so they won't count against the thirty five. But it it does appear um, it does appear that you know they've got a few extra guys that are still around similar to, you know, uh, what, but, you know, coach Bolt rebuilt his roster. He brought in well over 20 new players to the program this year. So um, yeah, it's similar thing that coach rule is going to deal with, with the football program is um, cutting things back down. Okay. Really quick. Linda Wilkins gives us an update. Hey, just an update. As we speak, the son's girlfriend and her 13-year-old son is running the first half marathon in Antarctica. That's cool. You, know, you need, if you get pictures of that or videos of any of that, you need to, like, send them to me so we can see. I can put them someplace where we can see them. Uh, Wade Farr says, uh, why don't gray and white hair old guys, why don't gray and white hair old guys color their hair to look young as they feel? Uh, I earned I this. I earned I, this. I, I Yeah, I, I learned. You know what? I'll tell you exactly why. It's because years ago when I was in my 20s, I was sitting by my boss in a meeting. And I it was an IT meeting, and I was sitting across from this IT manager. And I literally explained their structure of their entire network we were going to put in, how all of their service. I literally, we were going to put IT into their company for the first time. And I went through the description of every bit of it. It was probably 20 minutes of me nothing but talking like this and telling the guy at everything. And at the end of my talk, I paused and I waited for a response from him. You know what he did? He turned and he looked at my boss and my boss nodded. And I thought, you son of a bitch. You didn't give a fuck anything I just said. It's because the other old guy's here. <laughs> well, now I'm an old guy. And I, I, you know, this is mine. <laughs> so it, it's going to stay white, damn it. Okay, we're going to have one last discussion, Todd. Okay. You ready? I'm fire away, buddy. Blaine Paul from Japan says, what is the lowest profile Division One sport in your opinion? At Nebraska I, um, or overall, I guess. Well, I take both. Okay. Um, geez, lowest Division One profile sport at Nebraska. Um, probably tennis or golf. Oh, yeah. um, I don't think they get they don't get a whole lot of attention, and and um, you know I I can't even tell you where the Nebraska teams you know kind of rank or finish in the Big Ten. Um, I do know generally where women's soccer ends up. I know that the rifle team is pretty solid. Bowling, you know, wins national championships. So I guess when I think in terms of profile, 
I think, you know, how much attention is, how much attention are they drawing, you know? Um, in the NCAA, uh, the lowest profile Division One sport, you know, probably something like skiing, because I know there is Division One skiing, rowing. I think maybe. that's regional. Yeah, I, I think, well, definitely, it definitely is. Um, you know, if, you, if we talk about, I guess another way to look at this is um, with Title IX and with, you know, the fact that, you know, pre-mega TV contracts, um, colleges had to uh, be a little more conservative with their spending. Um, I think it, I think they measured the value of their programs by wins and losses and what kind of attention um, their programs could garner. That's why in some places, well, you know, my favorite sport, wrestling, suffered drastically, you know, beginning yeah. in the mid-1970s, 50% uh, ballpark, 50% of the Division One wrestling teams that were there in the 1970s are gone. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I guess that's what I think. Well, I did, you know, like the Big Ten doesn't really care that much about baseball. They, some of the individual yeah. schools do. But on the, other, on the other hand, the SEC, I mean, when you look at Arkansas, LSU, some of those schools, my God, that's just a – it's an amazing place to go see a game. We should go see a game together. You know, and I, I think, you know, now that you've brought that up, I think my biggest frustration with being part of the Big Ten is the the horrible support that the conference gives to baseball. Yeah. Because there are good baseball teams in this conference. And, you know, it's easy to say that being a Nebraska fan because we've had good baseball. And we had good baseball when we were in the Big 8 and the Big 12. And, you know, the Big Ten has good – I mean, there's good baseball in this conference. And the fact that the conference treats it like a, a second-tier sport really, really is frustrating to me. You know, I will make one recommendation, a reading recommendation, and it's not just the diary of Sar Sergeant Bergeon, uh, you know, freezing or trying to escape Russia as part of Napoleon's army. There is a book in the public domain, I believe, called The White Face Messiah. And it is not about our former coach, but it is about L. Ron Hubbard. And it is an amazing book to read about his early life and the establishment of Scientology. Just so you, I mean, it's an interesting book. Why did I read that book? Because I want to know how to do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that's well, my last point of the night. What I'll, I'm going to respond to one real quick. Blaine okay. says, Todd, Todd, have you ever put someone in the banana split? Only in practice. It was not part of my repertoire when I when I competed. I I had a different style than that. But uh, I, I can tell you this, Blaine, you didn't want to be on the receiving end. That was not a good place to be. <laughs> okay. Are we done? I think we're done. I think we are. Okay. Good night, Todd. Yep. Good night, John.